yes, oh yes, oh yes. The conversation continues here at the Life Crisis Podcast. This is episode number nine. I'm your host, Jim Whalen, part of the Port Chops Sports Family Network here in Madawan, New Jersey. Dave Sergio is in the building, making me uh, look good, making me sound good. Uh, today, we're talking a, a little bit about the NIL deals and the NCAA basketball and also about the Ed O'Bannon case. Episode number one, Bob Hurley alerted to about Ed O'Bannon, you know, wanting to get paid, how the NCAA gets gets uh, uh, missed that. And also with Seth Greenberg in another episode, just talking about the NIL, the current state of college basketball. My next get, guest was instrumental in uh, the plaintiff, Ed O'Bannon, and the case that led to amateurism and also led to uh, the current system here. Uh, he is a lawyer out in uh, California. He um, And it's my pleasure to introduce to you John King to the Midlight Crisis podcast. Uh, I just want to talk a, a little bit about the NIL. I was reading a court justice book and also Ed O'Bannon, and you're, you're mentioned in there. Um, you just start off... Uh, Ed O'Bannon says that you had a good connection with him and you're a walk-on at Santa Clara. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your basketball career. And did you play with Steve Nash or was that he was a little before, before your time or he was just after my time. Some of the guys that I played with wound up playing with him. So there was a bit of a connection there, but I, I, I was about as opposite of Ed O'Bannon as you could imagine. I, I <laughs> walked on to Santa Clara. I, I was as much a fan of the game as, as a player. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. So I, um, I had gone to some basketball camps there and gave it my all a year and a half. And I just, I just listened to your last podcast and show about Prop 48. And yes. I... I had no problem getting into college, but my problem was going to be staying in. I wasn't going to class. I wasn't doing anything academically. So, so a little ways in, I just realized like I am going to flunk out of here. I'm paying my own way. I don't have a scholarship, um, and I got to like hit the books. And and but I loved basketball so much and could relate, you know, to a tiny degree uh, to somebody like Ed O'Bannon, just knowing what a division one schedule is like the day to day. And um, so I was able to just connect with him, but was in awe of him and his accomplishments, you know, but, but he was also an excellent um, face of the case and a spokesperson who could just explain his own experiences. And what helped made that, that case successful is one of the things that was really important is Ed, if we had someone else that was the name on the case, the face on the case, had some baggage or controversy, it could have gone a whole different way. So he was almost like the perfect person when people thought of him. It's like, oh, yeah, Ed O'Bannon, I remember him, man, national championship, UCLA. Yeah. So so long story short, I, I, I was able to connect with him on that level as much of an appreciator of his basketball abilities, but also relate a little bit to having played the game. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm coming from New Jersey. So, I mean, he got drafted by the Nets. So I saw him play, you know, professionally. So just talk a little bit about your, your start. Did uh, I, I read somewhere about, I guess you, after Santa Clara, you guys, you ended up going to law school. And I guess you had like an NFL case with Dan Pastorini. He was, he was the, uh, 
I think it was the uh, Houston Oilers uh, quarterback. What was that? What was that case? And like, how did that lead to the next? Well, one of the things that happened with the O'Bannon case, it got a lot of attention and publicity. And, and when a case is like that, it tends to bring out individuals with similar issues or ideas. And that led to a bunch of former NFL players like uh, Dan Pastorini, Fred Dreyer was also involved. If you remember, okay. him, went on to become a very well-known actor. They had real concerns about how their images were being used forever in um, NFL films, great products. I think they're based in New Jersey at the time. They were at least as well, their, their headquarters and, and all the great videos and movies and high, you know, highlight things about seasons. So they stepped forward to attempt to address that issue. Basically, how did the NFL get those rights? Why weren't the former players being paid in the, you know, as they continue to be used? And both of those cases had to do, started with the idea of about former players, but who, who kind of live on forever in the use of their images. Could be video games posters, jerseys, you know, all these things. And so the O'Bannon case really led to a series of things like that with people just questioning things that used to be taken for granted, like, oh yeah, like you're an amateur, you can't be paid or yeah, you must've given away those rights somewhere, but, but it led to a, a much greater scrutiny on how did all of this happen? Yeah. And then reading his book, I guess, Sonny Vaccaro, I mean, he, here in New Jersey, he had the ABCD camps, and it also he worked for Nike. He was, you know, um, he was in that movie Air, which was successful. So, like, how did the case come about? I know, like, Ed O'Bannon said he was at a friend's house and he saw his image, you know, on an EA Sports thing. But, like, how did that gain traction in order to kind of, hey, we have something here, NCAA should be held to test. Like, how, how did that kind of get to the forefront? I don't think I could even overstate the importance of Sonny Vaccaro to the entire situation. And it, it, it tied back actually to when I was in high school in the San Francisco Bay area. Like I said earlier, I was just a tremendous fan of basketball as well as a player. And so at the time there was no internet, but I found out there was something called basketball times, a, weekly or maybe it was a monthly newspaper that you could subscribe to and it would show up and it would have all this information about a lot of it was about east coast stuff like who are the high school players i remember like alonzo morning reading about these guys in high school um, and kind of all the goings on the camps everything and then to some degree college basketball was in there as well but but at the back of that, Sonny Vaccaro would have a column, pretty much it seemed like every edition. And I, and I knew about, I learned through there about him, about the camps and also his relationship with the shoe and apparel companies like Nike. But what I remember at that time, even noticing he was very frequently criticizing in writing things the NCAA was doing and always was concerned about hypocrisy and, and fairness. And he probably even wrote about Proposition 48, which was the subject of your last uh, show, which I really enjoyed. Um, Thank you. 
So yeah, it was, it was excellent. Um, so oh, those are the kind of things he was weighing in on. And even at the time I thought, this is pretty amazing. This guy who seems to be a part of the industry, he's, but he's, he's going against the sort of biggest dog out there and calling them out over and over and over. So to bring it full circle, after I was an attorney, I was working at a, a, a class action firm on the plaintiff's side, the group, the group that does the suing. And that, that firm was focusing a lot on antitrust cases. And so one day I was on vacation, but we would call in every week still just to hear what's going on. There'd be a new case meeting, sort of like, here's some possibilities. Here's some people with ideas that have contacted us. What do we think? And I was sitting there. I remember I was in Arizona, um, uh, actually going to some NCAA tournament games. It must've been around March. Um, but there was this, I heard on this call kind of muffled, Hey, some guy named Sonny Vaccaro called in, left a message. He's talking about like <laughs> sports issues. Yeah. And, uh, we, we're not really sure that he sounds legitimate. I don't know. We get a million of inquiries like that. Yeah. And so I just about jumped through the phone and did you just say Sonny Vaccaro? Like we need to take this meeting, whatever he's got in mind, it's got, it's going to be something interesting. This is definitely a major, major figure in sports. So only because really I had remembered him from all my high school stuff and then saw his name, you know, forever after that, I was, that particular group of lawyers were not necessarily major sports fans, which I think helped them take a fresh look. But long story short, it led to them setting up a meeting um, in Los Angeles with me, Sonny, his wife, who was a great part of the team, and then one other attorney to just we didn't even know what he had in mind and what he had in mind led to everything involving the O'Bannon case and a lot of things that came after. Um, and independently, he also had been talking to Ed O'Bannon about these issues, especially the video games, just kind of like troubling Ed, but like most people, he didn't know what to do with it until Sonny said, hey, I'm talking to this law firm that might be able to help do something about this. So long story, but just the different worlds collided of, of sports and the right people and the right time. And well, without that, amazing. it may have never happened in the way that it all happened. Yeah. I mean, if you were on vacation, you said you could probably said, you know, forget it. I'm not, I'm not getting on this call. And that probably would have changed in a different direction. So, so, yeah. but... Yeah, you know, you never know. I mean, I'm sure people would continue to be raising things, but it was, but, but the combination of Sunny, Ed, the right law firms, the right time, social media, I think has had a lot to do with it, with people able to communicate about these things. So interesting little moment in um, sports history, I would say there. And then why do you think Sonny Vaccaro picked Ed O'Bannon? Was it, it, it kind of almost like it was like a branch Ricky Jackie Robinson type of scenario. You needed to have the right person in front so everybody can kind of get behind them. Is that I mean, is that a good comparison or you know, like uh, that, that, that the way you just said that was perfectly, and I didn't even fully think of it. But the, looking back, that that is what it was because we had talked to a number of potential people. And understandably, sometimes they would get cold feet, you know, going, I support you guys, but boy, my name on this, like what's going to happen? Sometimes people would even say, understandably, like, 
I've got some kids that might be able to play in college. Like this could hurt them, you know, real world understandable concerns. But Ed had that captain mentality for sure of why not him? He's going to step forward. He can take the heat. He can take whatever flack might be out there. And um, I think Sonny recognized too that there was just nothing anybody could say bad about Ed. It, Oh man, and if anything, you know, his his professional career, as you mentioned, you're familiar with, you know, playing. He was drafted with the New Jersey Nets. Mm-hmm. He had injury injury issues and kind of lingering things that I think never fully allowed him to reach his true ultimate potential through no fault of his own. He did go on to a lengthy career at, around the world and other countries, but I think also that was that if anything made him even more relatable because people could understand like not everybody winds up just set for life and a, a multimillionaire in sports. Like he, you know, had to go around the world, keep, yeah. keep trying to play and earn a living and support his family. So it's, so it's sort of, t- in other words, if everything had just worked out perfectly for him along the way, he may have been less relatable and therefore not such a compelling person to lead this this type of issue for everybody. And then what you mentioned before, even Ed O'Bannon, he had concerns too. I was reading in, in his book when, when you spoke, he had concerns like why me and why, you know, is it, is it the right time for me to kind of step forward and, and be the face? He had, when you had first conversations with him, you know, when you first met when a, after Sonny Vaccaro made the introduction, you know, he even expressed to you like, like what you said, why me? What, what makes me different than anybody else? And also, I have a family, a wife, a job, and 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 one thing I guess interesting said you said like he's not gonna get paid for it. It's like almost like he's gonna he's gonna be the first one through the door. He's gonna get all the flack, but he's not probably gonna reap the benefits for it either. Right. It's 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 just a remarkable testament to his leadership. He certainly didn't need to do it, you know, for any reason other than he felt it was the right thing to do. I mean, it, it's it's pretty stunning what, for somebody to do that, in my experience, to just step forward. And, and there are a lot of people out there who don't like the concept of these cases, don't like where it's led with the NIL money and transfers and all these sort of things. So, so to a certain group of people, he is heroic. And then there are others who, at least at the time, you know, yeah. may have been like, what are you doing? When I was in touch with him during the case, we did some interviews um, for shows like HBO Real Sports, Frontline on PBS, and a lot of filming and things were done um, where Ed was working at a uh, car dealership yeah. and in the Las Vegas area. And I think it helped that he had a very supportive employer, you know, who was totally on board with letting us do things there. But in other situations, you could see somebody, you know, not having that support and being worried, well, was my boss going to fire me? Cause he's upset with him, you know? So it's just, yeah. he's a, he was a remarkable person to be involved with this. It's, you can't even really explain it. He, he just did it. He let it, he just stepped forward, you know? And then that's the other thing. I think the con argument is like these these players are 
are getting a free education. Like I, I like my son, I got two kids at college, but my one's, you know, getting the tuition payments. It's, it's a lot to sacrifice to the family. So the con was like that. Now they're getting a free education. But I mean, I remember reading in a local paper here, or actually online, I guess it was an LSU. There was a, a something with a coach there. And in the comments, the majority of the people about players get paid. This is before everything kind of um, broke with the NIL. The comments, people were supportive of the players getting paid. So there, there's, I think there's public support behind it. But, you know, um, do you think like now it's a little bit like, does that get reined in a little bit as far as, uh, or like, like is, is the NIL, is it, is it, you know, just do you see any any pitfalls with NIL as far as what the current state now with, with it and that players are? Yeah, well, that, I mean that's a that's a good question, and you you tied together a couple of interesting things there, which I spent a good part of my time in these cases talking to people about and, and hearing concerns because I was always thinking if you're if your average sports fan or even non sports fan has thoughts about these issues there's a good chance the judges will have these thoughts the juries you know people so so on the education part one thing that i was able to bring to my experience from my my very limited you know walk-on basketball player experience is even for me i was not living like a regular student the, the demands even then, and we're talking 1988, 89, you know, 90, some in that era of it was all I could do to just get myself to practice. After practice is then weight training. Got to hit the weights. We're doing that film study, an everyday occurrence where either you're either watching uh, prior games or film of upcoming opponents that the coaches have sliced and diced, you know, for us to prepare, looking at written scouting reports, then hoping to just make it to the cafeteria before it closes, trying to eat enough. I was a skinny guy, always trying to put on weight, trying to replace all those calories. And so, so then in talking to the real deal athletes that became a part of these cases, you know, prominent power five conference players, I realized very quickly they, the education the, the educational experience is vastly different from them. The, the goal there is simply eligibility to satisfy NCAA guidelines. They're not regular students. They can't take things in the afternoon like other other students can. you know so so it's a different world. Yes, it's still a nice problem to have because you might come out of there with a college degree, but they are, I'm sure it's even more so now. They're just they're living in a different world. They're, we're calling them students, but they they have obligations that are beyond belief for for everybody else. So the the NIL money for name, image, and likeness um, it, it's it's a crazy time to see how quickly things have changed just in the last few years, where it went from players can't be paid, then it was. Players can be paid for their name, image, and likeness, but it can't be boosters of schools. Then very quickly it became, well, it's actually okay if it is the boosters putting together these collectives. And they can be, players can be paid now, but the schools will not be paying the players. 
So if you were, if you're, and that's probably going to change very quickly, at least at the top level, we're talking power five conferences. It's, it's a different world as you, as you know, if you go watch division two basketball, division three, junior college, there's all kinds of stuff out there that is college sports, but really different. But at the top of the heap, we've got, we're trying to do this experiment unique to America, I would say, of jamming together college education, huge amounts of money for coaches, you know, massive billion dollar TV deals. And I think we're just in a period of transition where, I mean, my kids now, they're 15, 14 they really have only come to consciousness about college sports in the image where NIL exists. They don't yeah. even really understand that it didn't used to happen. So I think in a few years, a lot of this will be sorted out, settled. You know, we'll have probably a new version of Division One for the power conferences. And life will go on. People will still watch, which is the key, because what else are we going to do with our Saturdays or what, I don't know what I do with my March without yeah. watching college. Oh, yeah. it's, it's the best. It's the best month of the year you know, for me, you know? Yeah. So, so just uh, and then in the book, it kind of alluded that you were with a law firm. And then when we spoke to set up this interview, you said there was a there was other people behind you. You were, you were basically, you know, in the forefront, but there was a, there was a whole team of people, but there was a break in the law firm, but you said you were still in, involved uh, with the, with, with this case. So, I mean, can you talk about a little bit what happened to the law firm and then how you, how you kind of picked it up somewhere else? Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm really glad you made that point because Cases like the O'Bannon case and these similar big ones are the product of many dozens of attorneys, often dozens of law firms, all joining together to pool resources, expertise. And it, it's a lot like a sports team where, you know, you might have your, your, your veterans, you have your rookies, you might have sort of the glue guys that can kind of talk to everybody, maybe not the most, you know, genius level performer. And, and everybody in between, you, you have people that don't know anything about sports, which can be really helpful because they look at things totally fresh. Some of us as sports fans might go, yeah, they can't be paid, they're amateurs. But some of the attorneys involved would, would look at this like, well, why not? Like, where does that come from? And dive into the history of it. And then lots of firms and joining together to add money because these cases have to be paid for. Nobody gets paid unless it's successful. So hiring expert economists, all these people. So so a big a big big group of people. And, and my thing, my role was probably being a bridge to be able to talk to all these different groups. Like there were attorneys for sure. If you said, "Hey, what do you think about what's going on with the SEC?" They would say, "Oh, you mean the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission?" Well, right. you, you know, whereas your sports guy would be, oh, yeah. "Okay, you're talking Southeastern yeah. Conference, Power yeah. Five. They run the NCAA." Yeah. You know, the so, but but collectively, it, it it can work. It can function. So, but one of the things you, you may have had this experience where class actions can get a bad name, and a class action means it's 
there's there's the lead plaintiff like Ed O'Bannon, but he is standing in the shoes and on behalf of thousands of others like him to be representative. And so if there's a settlement or a victory, all of those people benefit, but someone like Ed O'Bannon is the window in which the court can learn about the experiences of, you know, what in his case, what it's like to be an athlete, how is his image being used. But one of the where class actions get a bad name, you may have had this experience. Sometimes people get a check in the mail for a settlement and it'll say something like, oh, I got a dollar and 35 cents for yeah. <laughs> from my phone company. I don't know if this is even worth the gas money yeah. to go try to deal with this at my bank or. Yeah. So they, they can be settled in a way in which the lawyers can get a lot of money and the actual people sometimes can get nothing or even have to turn in some form and maybe they'll get something in two years, who knows? So, so I, I was very close with the players and wanting this thing to work out, even if that meant we go down swinging because okay. athletes like that, you know, they'd rather lose and fight till the end than just give up and go, okay, well, we're just going to quit here. So, so there are just to summarize that there could be tension in those worlds about whether a case should settle, when, what would a settlement look yeah. like, who would the money actually go to. And uh, I was outspoken on a lot of things because I, I just I knew what what was at stake for the players and things. It, it wasn't just another case to me for whatever reason or another thing. So led to a split, some bad blood for sure with uh, me and the first firm. But in that case, there were two firms appointed by the court to run the whole thing, to oversee it. And quickly, the other firm asked me to come join them uh, and work with, with them, which was really nice, very, very, was very, very happy. So I could just continue on um, in the college sports cases. And just then they were getting a lot of ideas for follow-up college sports cases, building on O'Bannon and the, the issues about video games and all that. And those issues led to ones about what college scholarships cover and don't cover. And college scholarships used to cover the cost of what it actually would Required to live like a regular student, laundry money, you know, all those things, not just your tuition and room and board, but gradually there became a shortfall of several thousand dollars per year of what the, the schools would publish, what they call the cost of attendance, but the athletic scholarship would be way short of that. So you wound up having these players that couldn't afford to get food after the cafeteria closed, were going into debt. Things that, yes, regular students do do as well, but when it was contrasted with the billions of dollars being brought in, um, it led to a lot of cases about making up that gap, and it led to some big settlements and in cases that um, all sort of started with really hypocrisy is what I'd say. It, it all goes, there's too much money involved for players. And there was a famous, in our world, there was a famous incident. I think it was a UConn player um, who, during the March Madness, 
tournament was interviewed on camera and just said something like, you know, I'm having to go to bed hungry at night sometimes because like I just don't have the money to. And, and that just led to a lot of attention and focus on yeah. the economics of yeah, like of, what's going on here. So, yeah. And it's, but yeah. even with, even with the, like, Ed I guess, uh, surprisingly, I guess Oscar Robinson, Bill Russell, David Latin and Henry uh, Floridoy from Texas, what they kind of got behind him. So he, it, automatically he had instant credibility, you know, that he had, such big names uh, going behind them and saying, "Hey, this is this is what's going on here," and that we agree with you know, Ed O'Bannon. So, when we spoke, you talked a little bit about uh, the Sean Austin case. Uh, you know, I'm not everybody knows about the first case, but not too much about the second case. But I guess he was involved with West Virginia running back, and I guess the quarterback Major Harris. I guess he, you know. So, what was the difference in that that case with Ed, between Ed O'Bannon's case and that, or is it similar? Well, so so the Alston case was one of these, um, like I was mentioning, that had to do with why doesn't the athletic scholarship cover lots of other things like extra books? Sometimes there are books that are not required but recommended. Um, you know, I keep mentioning laundry, but laundry costs a lot of you know a lot of money these days. Like, how do you do your laundry? These things. So, so his case, he was one of the class representatives on that issue of why doesn't the scholarship cover more that is that is needed, and um, that led to a settlement with the NCAA of several hundred million dollars. This time, done in the right way, which is the money just passed out, checks issued, large checks like a good a good process then that that case morphed into going forward well what about other things why can't the uh why can't schools if they want provide internships for players send them on like a summer abroad study thing um provide for graduate school scholarships a bunch of things related to education, but beyond just the simple scholarship. And to make a long legal saga short, that eventually went up to the US Supreme Court who absolutely blasted the NCAA in, in a very strong opinion and basically said, whatever the NCAA is trying to say here about amateurism is necessary to to uh, protect something here is absolutely bunk, basically. So like, unanimous just blasting of them. And that really accelerated then what you're seeing now because the, the writing was on the wall with that decision. It didn't have to address the core idea of can schools pay players directly? But everyone could read the tea leaves going, if that court got a case like that again, it very likely would not side with the NCAA. So you've seen the acceleration of the NCAA allowing the NIL payments from the booster collectives and all of those things. And now there's a lot of effort to see whether that could be regulated better or, or reined in and You've got players switching schools because of that. 
So we're, we're in a new time of, of change, but, but basically the legal system has generally finally responded and just told the NCAA, we don't believe you anymore, the things you say. So that that's kind of where, hopefully that makes sense. That's yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But like, do you, what do you see like the next pitfall then for, for the current system? You know, are kids going to get promised a certain amount of money and it doesn't pan out? Like what in the current system? I mean, obviously, you know, Ed O'Bannon case, it's all right. Um, they're using my name, image, image and likeness. You know, I should be paid for that. But like, what's the next? Because people I talked to on this show, they basically said, you know, it's like almost like the wild, wild west. It's got to get reined in somehow. I mean, do you agree with that? And do you think that, uh, you know, what would, what would, what kind of, um, you know, firewalls would you see, would like to see put in? in the current system or, or do you think it's, it's good in the system the way it is now? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I, I had left the college sports cases for a while because honestly it was um, affecting my viewing and enjoyment of sports. Sometimes you know too much, <laughs> you know, so. So I, but I just got brought back. I got refreshed and just was brought back into one about, what they call second transfers in sports players that have transferred multiple times and the NCAA just a few weeks ago, uh, reverse course because they were sued by seven state attorneys, attorney generals, uh, and have allowed second transfers. Um, but it upsets a lot of people, the player movement and coupled with the NIL money, um, it's making people wonder what's going on. The player they're rooting for one year, is that player going to be here next year? But what I'll, the way I would put it is, is like this, which is every, every quote unquote problem going on has been addressed for many decades in um, professional sports already including through the efforts of people like Oscar Robertson, who you mentioned, but, you know, way back when was in some, some lawsuits involving the NBA and the ABA and mergers and unions and collective bargaining, free agency, all those things. Every issue we talk about, there is a very easy way to address it that may be unpopular, but is some type of collective representation whether we call it a union or not, with solid representatives, legal representatives, bargaining people who, who truly represent the athletes on the one hand and can negotiate with who's ever representing college sports, whether it's the conferences or the NCAA, and reach agreements and deals Otherwise, there was there is going to be endless lawsuits every time the NCAA attempts to put in some new rule and say we're going to regulate NIL, do something like that. They will be sued and very likely successfully sued because that's going to violate the antitrust laws. But when you have unions, those are exempt from the antitrust laws. So I know that it's hard to imagine but that's the only solution I really see. Then everything is addressed, just like in pro sports. We got concussion issues that's addressed through the concussion protocol negotiated in football with the NFL and the Players Association. 
And I, I think if it's not that, it's going to be forever tinkering and, and probably upsetting to people because that is the free market. The free market is going to do what it's going to do. People are going to go where the money is. And we totally respect that in other walks of life, but it, it upsets people in college sports. So I hope it gets to the point where there is just we can stop kind of rehashing these issues over and over in the legal system and just get to like a negotiation that people, and it, it probably only affects those top conferences, you know, you know, in basketball that can extend out to, there's a lot more smaller conferences that do well, especially in, in the tournament, but to sit down like any other business deal and, and, figure this out in a common sense way. So that's that's where I think it has to go. Otherwise, every year will bring some new controversy. It seems yeah, like. well, I mean, it's it's a weird, like the NIL, it's like, I don't know, are you dealing with the parents? Are you dealing with the player itself? I mean, if the player's a minor, like, are, do, do they, you know, can they agree on, you know, so, you know, there's players that did a verbal agreement or they did a letter of intent and then they're, you know, so it's like there's a lot of uh, elasticity in the current system right now it's just like and i think people understand it's going to get reined in but you want to get reined in the right way not and then you want to have people get exploited either you know, right so. yeah yeah that is a good a really good point is yes for the most part the players are above 18. i mean i'm looking back i actually was 17 when i started college and that raises we raised this issue a little bit in the o'bannon case is if people are signing paperwork at 17 giving away rights or whatever they're you know but for the most part people are 18 and over coming in but there is no possible way your average 18 year old or 20 year old for that matter can can understand and negotiate complex legal rights while they're also trying to be athletes and also trying to be students and also just trying to be young people so so i was it is truly, I think, a unique American issue. Like, the, from what I understand, other other countries do not combine huge amounts of money and education and sports. You know, so so you're right. I think there has to be some recognition. We can call people adults, but they need real help and real representation. And and that is what a good union can do where you have the union leaders and the, the union also has attorneys and people who by law have to put the best interests of their clients ahead of everything else. Now I know unions sometimes don't achieve those, you know, ideals, but um, yeah, you're right. L leaving things up to just young, I'd call them kids, even though they're, you know, 18 to 20, 22, whatever, big money at stake, verbal promises, like you said, it, um, it, it's a challenge. So what you might see is legislation or something at the political level. Um, the NCAA has been after that for years, if not decades. Um, and that's, it's always a challenge to get the government to do something and to regulate something, but there's a good argument to be made that's what it may take as well some kind of actual force of law like here how the here is how this will all work and then lastly i mean just uh and thanks for your time john but like you hung out your own shingle now you have your own law firm like what 
what cases do you handle now and uh, and where you're practicing at them? So if somebody is watching this, like what you hear, like what, what, what kind of cases do you handle? I'm, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, as I mentioned earlier, I have, have kids that basically grew up during all of these NCAA cases with me. And one challenge is those are typically national cases where I go all over the country, flying all over the place. And it, it just for depositions of the clients yeah. and meetings and it just became too much time away from home. So I, I switched to keeping things local and um, representing people that have been subject to discrimination um, in law enforcement is one of the things I think we, you know, I focused on and yeah. uh, I think you have a relationship to that and, and, yeah. and people who work at prisons, but generally things that are local um, representatives of district attorney's offices, investigators and things. So always on the plaintiff side fighting against, you know, some type of thing. But, but as I mentioned, I am interested a little bit in doing some more NCAA things and mm -hmm. trying to, to help just get things on the right track. But one of the things all of those cases have in common, whether it's the college athletes cases or these other things I mentioned is I'm always looking for the hypocrisy, which is the company says one thing publicly, yeah. behind the scenes, it does the other thing. And, and that's something that makes or breaks a case. You know, I think when judges look at things, if you show them enough, like, this is not what it seems, it, it can lead to something being successful. So the good thing I think about the college sports cases is a lot more stuff is out on the table now. Yeah. I mean, old days, I'm sure we all remember. Yeah, you had boosters given the duffel bags of cash and yeah, and giving to uncles or you know buying houses or twenty dollar handshakes or you know whatever else there was you know it was it, it was you know yeah it, it goes it always is going to go on so why don't we just get it out yeah. in the open and make it above board and you know that's that's kind of the hope so I, so I do and all of these firms involved they've done a great job you know fighting and keeping the issues alive and. Um, it's, it's, it's fun to see, but I do recognize not fun for everybody. And it, <laughs> it can be equally upsetting to a lot of, yeah. a lot of fans who are concerned about like what's going on. So. Well, it, it, it makes good debate. So listen, John, I appreciate your time. And hopefully this podcast continues to come back and revisit as this NIL evolves and everything. Good luck in your law firm and thanks for for your time. And thanks for, you know, you know, agreeing to come, come on with me. I really appreciate you explaining and also talking a little bit about the Ed O'Bannon case, which is definitely uh, uh, made all this possible as far as, you know, getting, getting players paid. So anyway. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love your show and I've enjoyed all the episodes and good uh, luck going forward well, thanks john i guess you're the one so <laughs> you're the one <laughs> so. all right, all right. take care best of luck to you thank you, you. thank you i want to thank john for uh, his time here explaining about the ed o'bannon case uh you can read about it but in ed o'bannon's book court justice uh john has mentioned in that book he's also mentioned in a, a couple other cases dan pastorini and also uh, sean austin with uh west virginia university football and real interesting guests different side of sports affecting the, the, the sports 
climate uh, today. And the conversation is going to continue whether right, wrong, players can be paid, how much you can be paid, everything else. But thank you for your time. Look forward to another episode in a couple of weeks. Hope you enjoy this one. Hope you enjoy this show. Like, save, subscribe, share. Follow me on Twitter, formerly uh, and now called X at Whalebones. Thank you very much. Thank you.